Are you faithful? When you ask that question in church, you're assuming, are you faithful to God? Right? But we're faithful to a lot of things. We're faithful to the Kentucky Wildcats. We're faithful to uh, Cincinnati Bengals. We're, unless you're wearing a pack jersey. Uh, we, are, we are faithful to our friends, maybe even our school, our churches, uh, maybe to our spouse. I hope that you're faithful to your spouse. You should be. And uh, our children. We're faithful to a lot of things. So I guess the real question is, are you faithful to God? And, and better yet, are you focused on God? So this morning, I want to talk about the characteristics of what it means to live in faithfulness. Uh, when I was a staff member, first in ministry, I went up to a guy, his name was Bob Sutton, so I called him Brother Bob, and it was an inclement day, kind of like today, and I said, hey, Brother Bob, are you going to cut your message down because snow is coming? He said, I always preach what I prepare. So I learned that a long time ago, so I'm just going to preach what I prepared, and we'll pray that we can all get home safely, everybody's doing okay. Uh, a lady went to the pastor and said, I am not going to be attending church any longer. And he said, may I ask why? And she said, well, I see people on their cell phones during the service. Some are gossiping. Some, I know some of them just ain't living right. They're all just hypocrites. The pastor got silent and he said, okay, but can I ask you to do something for me before you make your final decision? And she said, what's that? He said, next Sunday when you come into church, I want you to take a full glass of water Fill it to the brim. And what I'd like for you to do is walk around the church twice. Don't let the water come out of the, of the glass. And so she's careful, man. She's going around the church, and she's watching to make sure that nothing spills over to the side. And she basically went up to the pastor at the end of the service and said, it's done. And he said, okay, I want to ask you three questions. Did you see anybody on their phone? Did you see anybody gossiping? Did you see anyone that wasn't living right? She said, I, I didn't see anything because I was so focused on this glass so that the water wouldn't fall. And he told her, when you come to church, you should be just like that and being focused on God so that you don't fall. That's why Jesus said, follow me. He did not say, follow Christians, follow the staff, follow whatever everyone else was doing. Don't let your relationship with God be determined by how others relate with God. Let it be determined by how focused you are on God. David Grossman, uh, he wrote an article some time ago in Popular Mechanics, and he shared that uh, basically Australia uh, is, is moving. And uh, it, it moves a little bit every year. Uh, it's not surprising all the co confidence are, are basically on the move, Australia drifts 70 millimeters to the northeast every single year. And uh, Australia once was connected to both India and Antarctica, finally breaking away from the former 100 million years ago and the latter 45 million years ago. And the continent of Australia still drifts a little bit every year at a rate far too slow for us to really know or understand or notice but the journey is now starting to mess with the systems that rely on pinpoint accuracy, specifically our GPS. Australian GPS was last updated in, back in the mid-90s. 
and the entire country has moved, yeah, 37 years ago, and has moved a little more than five feet since then. Much of our current technology relies on accurate GPS coordinates. For instance, driverless tractors that help with farm work will start having problems because the information about the farm won't line up with the coordinates coming out of the navigation system. Australians using driverless cars or shipping drones or, or accurate map information is fundamental. Everything on earth that's not dead is changing. The church is changing. You and I are changing. But there are three crucial foundational things that will never change. One, God never changes. Two, His Word never changes. And three, His promises do not change. These are settled in heaven forever. So I want us to look at just one, uh, two scriptures basically for our key text this morning. It's in Proverbs chapter 3 and 4. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And yes, in my old school, I'm going to ask us to stand in honor of reading God's holy word. So would you stand with me? This is what Solomon said. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder and write them deep within your heart. And then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Let's pray. God, help us to understand that we are uh, agents of Christ, that people are looking to us, that our attitudes matter, that our lives matter, our choices matter, even our mistakes matter. God, let us just give you all the praise, the goodness and the badness, we pray your blessings on those at the EDGE conference. We pray for Craig and the entire staff that's leading them, for the kids, for the workers, for everyone who's there. We pray for safety not only today, but as they return. And I just ask God that you would keep everyone safe. Thank you for keeping us focused today on Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Why is it so important for us to be fully committed to God? Why is that important? When we make a step to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, uh, we are, in a sense, being transformed into His likeness and characteristics. Now, not all at once. It's not like a light switch we flip on, the lights come on, and we're good. Faithfulness is a key element in the transformational process. Without being faithful to God, we will never be able to fully trust Him or do what He calls us to do. Again, look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. Never let loyalty or kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep in your heart. This idea of writing Scripture down and putting it on your body somewhere was an Old Testament thing, and a lot of the Pharisees wore these things. They were called phylacteries. And phylacteries were basically little tiny scriptures that they would handwrite, stick in a wooden box, and they literally would like duct tape it to their head, except I don't think it was duct tape, right? It was some kind of a cloth. And they would wear these phylacteries around, and so it was basically telling the people that the Word of God was on their mind, but it was an external thing. And Jesus basically attacked their phylactery ideas and said it should be something that's within our hearts, not something we, we wear on the outside. Like, just because you wear a cross necklace doesn't make you a Christian, right? 
That's what Craig said last week, just because you're sitting in a, in a garage doesn't make you a car. It's not what we have on us, right? It's what's in us. I always get tickled about people who say, you know, there's no, uh, there's no more prayer in schools. Well, I beg to differ. Every time I took a test, I prayed. I don't know about you, but I prayed hard that I would pass the test, right? There's always going to be prayer in schools, right? And, 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 we, and we get frustrated sometimes because the Ten Commandments are no longer uh, in, the, in the judicial systems or in the halls or courts or whatever. And, and, and I don't get wigged out about that. Sure, I would rather have it there. But you know where I would rather have it? In here, right? Living out the Ten Commandments, modeling the Ten Commandments. That's more important than seeing it on a wall. It's seeing it in your life lived out. That's what loyalty is. That's what kindness. Never let it leave you. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Loyalty, what is that? It used to mean something in our country, in our nation, right? That word was used to mean something so precious. Employers were loyal to employees and vice versa. Professional sports teams used to keep their players on the payroll for many years so their fans could get to know them. Now, you don't know who's on what team on any given year, right? They're always changing around. Even the, our beloved catch, right? We're one and done, right? You never know who's coming next year. Marriages were more loyal than they are now. Loyalty is one of the things that we're losing in America if we've not lost it already. Even in churches, there is very little loyalty. Pick, people pick up and move from church to church to church. And, and sometimes they ask like the old Ford commercial that said, what have you done for me lately? That's kind of a consumer mentality that we get into. And it defocuses us on what's important. So what is Solomon saying here in wisdom is don't forget loyalty, or in some biblical translations, the author would say that the word literally means love. Love. God is always loyalty to us. God's love is always there for us. Doesn't the Bible say that God will work out all things according to His time and His plan? In his book, Stories uh, for the Journey, William R. White shares the story of a guy named Hans, a European seminary professor. He was devastated by the loss and the death of his wife, Enid. Hans was so overcome with sorrow that he lost his appetite and he didn't want to leave the house. He'd become a recluse. And out of concern, the seminary president, along with three other professors, paid Hans a visit. And the grieving professor confessed that he was struggling with his doubt. He was no longer to really focus on God. He was no longer faithful like he used to be. He admitted to his colleagues, in fact, I'm not certain I believe in God anymore. And after a moment of silence, the seminary president said, then we will believe for you. We will pray for you. And the four men continued to meet daily for prayer, asking God to restore uh, the gift of faith to their friend. And some months later, as the four friends gathered to pray for Hans, Hans smiled and he said to them, it is no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Today, I would like to pray with us. God reminds us through the Bible that he is faithful and that he loves us beyond our comprehension. The Bible says that our, no mind can imagine, no ear can hear, no eye can see or understand the fathomable, unfathomable love that God has for all of us. And I want to share just a handful of verses um, that tie into this. 
Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Deuteronomy 7, 9, understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And one more, 1 Corinthians 10.13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Powerful scriptures that remind us over and over again, the Bible is so clear on this subject. God is faithful to us. He expects us to be faithful and to be loyal to him. Even the Ten Commandments express this idea when it says, there shall be no other gods before me. When we are faithful to God, we are not distracted. We are focused like a laser. We focus to live out His will and do what He wants us to do in all things. If you're looking to marry someone or if you're going to, going to hire someone to work for you, wouldn't you like that person to be faithful? Of course you would. Don't you want someone that you can trust no matter what happens? The choices that we make and the decisions that we make shape our character. We may say one thing and do something completely different. And what we do today measures our character for tomorrow. What was done in the yesteryears shaped our character for today. Who are you when it matters? And where are you going? Our spiritual character is shaped by our level of loyalty and faithfulness to God. In other words, can God count on you? Can He count on your attention? your resources of time and money? Can He count on you reaching others for Him? You know you are God's number one plan for reaching the world. This is the way God designed it, that you and I would reach other people in our sphere of influence. There are people in your world that I'll never intersect with, but there are your people, your connections. Can God count on you? I think sometimes we are so focused and consumed by our own dreams and our own agendas and our own desires and our own goals. We don't always think about others, but the scriptures are pretty clear that we live our lives to worship God and to serve others in His name. So when you accept Christ into your hearts and then eventually join His church, are you a person of your word? Is God really first in your life? Or do you have other people or things in front of him? And you realize that whatever we put in front of, our, of God and ourselves is called an idol. It's idolatry. We would never burn down our gold pieces and melt them down to make a golden calf like the people did in, uh, of Moses in the Old Testament. But in essence, we do the same thing when we choose to put our loyalties in anything other than God. So what are the benefits of being faithful to God? Well, Proverbs says it again. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Your reputation matters. 
It matters to God. It should matter to all of us. I hear people all the time, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to live my life the way I want to. Well, that's fine, but that's not the way we were designed. So the first benefit is this. We will find favor with God and with others. To find favor means that we will be accepted, approved, and well thought of by God. The more we associate with people, uh, and if we are known to be trustworthy and faithful, people will be glad to deal with you. If you do somebody wrong somehow, word gets out, right? I mean, our reputation is soiled, but God is a God of restoration. God wants to restore us. There is no sin. There is nothing that we've done so bad that God's love can't cure, can't restore, can't heal. You are so vital to God. No one likes to deal with people who looks out only for their best interest. But if you are known to be faithful and honest, people will look favorably towards you. As a Christ follower, we need to understand that our faithfulness is a result of God's blessings. It is something that He gives us as a byproduct of our living for Him. People expect God to bless them even though they're not living for Him. I don't understand that concept. That's such poor theology, that whatever we do, God's going to love us anyway. God's going to bless us anyway. And let me share, God will love you anyway. But He's not promised to bless you every day. If we live for Him, if we focus on Him, then we will become favorable to God, and God wants to bless us. You know, Pete, I love giving gifts to kids. My, my kid's here from Pigeon Forge, and I love giving gifts to him, and that's, you know, we love him, and so we do all kinds of things, but there's people that we love to give gifts to even more, and that's our grandchildren. Sorry, dude, okay? We love giving gifts to our grandchildren. I mean, we spoil them rotten. We send birthday presents. We send them in the mail, then we, and we, every time we've come, we bring a present, right? And so uh, Zeke gets on the phone. He says, hey, Poppy, are you coming to see me soon? Well, not long. Why? Well, if you come, you'll bring me a present. That's the only reason why I get to come, is I bring the kids a present. You know that God wants to give you presents every day? He wants to give you blessings every day. He wants to lavish love on you. Uh, poor, you know, what he said, there's a promise in the scriptures that, you know, we're not supposed to test God, but in Malachi, God says to us, test us in this. Give your tithe, your 10% to the Lord, and I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessings on you. You will, you will drown in your own wealth. You know, I don't believe in a wealth-only religion, but here's what I do believe, that God wants to give you gifts. He loves you. He wants you to be a favorable person. He wants you to have trustworthiness. Hosea 6.6 tells us, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want the burnt offerings. Did you catch that? They would take the burnt offerings. They would buy them from a dealer. They would give them to the Lord. I think Craig went over this just a week or so ago. And basically they would buy doves, right? The cheapest form of of a burnt offering. Some people would be extravagant, buy a lamb or whatever, and they would buy them and they would send them in. But there was no motive, there was no heart, it was just an act of worship. It's the same difference, you and I walk into church, we sing a few songs, we have a prayer, we get to lunch, we go about our day. It was never intended to be about an external show of what we're doing, it's about the internal. Are we really focused? God I don't care about the offering, the burnt offering, I care about you. I care about you. 
In other words, God is saying, is not looking for just an external show of religion, right? He desires for us to be faithful and just and loyal because of our love and our acceptance of his son. God did not condemn people for the sacrifices of their burnt offerings. As I said earlier, it was about the motive. He's not looking for us to come in and be something that we're not. He desires true worship. The French have a proverb which states, a good meal ought to uh, begin with hunger. Sometimes I'd go to my mom's house, you know, when I was younger, and I'd sit at the meal, and I could hear, hear my mom whistle from like two miles away. I'd be playing basketball or, or baseball or whatever, and I could hear that distinct whistle, and I would run to the house because if I didn't, I knew I was going to be in trouble. And I would get there, and I'd gulp down my food, and I'd say, Mom, this is so good. And she would say, you're just hungry. Food tastes better when we're hungry. Would you all agree with that? Food tastes better when you're hungry. Did you know that when we come into worship every week, we're supposed to be hungry for worship? That's why worship feels so good. That's why worship is so meaningful. We get something out of the message, even if it didn't connect with us, because we're hungry, because we desire, as the deer pants for water, right, in the old, uh, in the, basically in the Psalms, uh, it's a desire of us to be hungry, to come in to worship, prepared to worship. It's about us being focused on God and God alone, not what other people are doing or not doing, what people come to the front or don't. We've been trying to teach the, this church about worship. Craig does it almost every week about the expression of worship. No, we're not advocating uh, a three-ring circus and everybody running around, but we are expressing an individual worship that we do corporately, right? Don't focus on others like the glass of water I talked about earlier. Focus on God. <laughs> you remember the... Uh, the story of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Uh, I think this is a great connection. The favor of the master was toward the one who, who was actively pursuing the interest of the, of the master. The one that received 10 talents created through his work and added 10 more. Now in my poor math, that's 20, right? My wife's a middle school math teacher. She's always correcting me, right? So 10 and 10 is 20. The one who was given five talents, five and five is, is 10, right? In both instances, the master said what? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the one that was given one talent but did nothing with it, what did the master do to him? He cast him away and called him wicked and lazy. God is favorable towards us when we are actively pursuing his will. Did you catch that? Actively, which means it's a verb. A verb is an action. You and I, it's not just coming in and sitting down every Sunday and checking our card as a, as, a, as a Christian, right? Our checklist of things. Did you read your Bible? Did you do your tithe? Did you come to church? It's not about those things. Those things are great. It's about the, it's a byproduct of who we are. What are the benefits of being faithful to God? And finally, faithfulness earns us a good reputation. Obviously, there is something that we would like to possess to be as good as our reputation says it is. I read this story some time ago about Bill Gaither. Now, listen, I'm not a gospel country singer or 
enjoy that kind of music. It's not my style. My mom and dad love that stuff. They, they go to, they've been to concerts and they've been on, you know, all kinds of things. There's a day at Pigeon Forge where all the gospel quartets get together. I, 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 I'd just soon be stabbed in the head with a pick. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, you know, I, 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 I say, you know, that's great for you. I, I'm glad you're having fun. But anyway, this, the story Bill Gaither wrote in his book, I Almost Missed the Sunset, talked about this farmland. He said, Gloria and I had been married a couple of years. And we were teaching school in Alexandria, Indiana, where I had grown up, and we had planted, uh, uh, wanted a piece of land where we could build a house. And I noticed the parcel uh, south of town where cattle grazed on a hillside, and I learned it to belong to a 92-year-old retired bank uh, guy, banker named Mr. Yule. He owned a lot of land in the area, and word was that he would sell none of it. He was a miserly old guy. Uh, he gave the same speech to everyone who inquired. I promised the farmers they could use it for their cattle. Well, Gloria and I visited him at the bank, and although he was retired, he would spend a couple of hours each morning at his office. And he looked at, at us over the top of his bifocals, you know how some people do. And I introduced myself as Bill Gaither and told him we were interested in a piece of his land, and he just said, no, I'm not selling. Promised it to farmers for grazing. I know, but we teach school here and thought maybe you'd be interested in selling it to someone planning to settle in the area. And he pursed his lips and stared at me. What'd you say your name was? Gaither, Bill Gaither. Hmm. Any relation to Grover Gaither? Yes, sir, that was my granddad. Mr. Yule put down his paper and removed his glasses. He said, hmm, that's interesting. Grover Gaither was the best worker I ever had on my farm. He would put in a full day's work for a full day's pay. He was very honest. What'd you say you wanted? I told him again, I'd like to have a piece of that land to build a house. He said, let me do some thinking on it and come back and see me. So the very next week, Mr. Yule told me that he had the property appraised and as Bill said, I kind of held my breath. He said, how does $3,800 sound? Would that be okay? If that was per acre, I would have to come up with nearly $60,000. 38, I repeated. Yep, 15 acres for $3,800. He said, I knew it had to be worth at least three times that, and he readily accepted. Nearly three decades later, my son and I strolled that beautiful, lush property that had once been just pasture land. He said, Benji, you've had this wonderful place to grow up through nothing that you've done, but because of a good name of a great granddad you never met. The Bible says in Proverbs, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So in addition to the question of what kind of, how faithful are you to God and what is your focus, I guess I want to end today by asking you, what kind of reputation are you leaving for the next generation? Are you faithful to God? Are you loyal to God? Let's think about that. Let's think about as a church going to the next level. And, and I wonder, do we as a church have a good reputation? I'm so glad that God had called me to a messy church because I'm a messy person, right? We all are a mess. We're all saved by God's grace. None of us are perfect. No one is greater than the other. I'm glad that I'm serving in a messy church. 
And I love the way Craig talks about it being a mess. And he, and he, and he said to me when I first came here uh, several months ago, he said, I'm going to tell you, we're a mess. And I said, dude, I, I know that. You're a mess. And you, it, messy people lead messy people. And I think that's awesome. And that's the reputation this church has, that no one is perfect. No perfect people need to come. I think we need to get T-shirts that say, no perfect people allowed, right? There is no perfect person in here, and I just love it. And I, again, I just think that we need to focus on God. Let that be our reputation. Let that be our focus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. Thank you for grace. God, help us in your word. The wisdom of Solomon, so powerful. There's so many scriptures we could have chosen, but God, you led me to this one. Never let loyalty and kindness leave us. Write them in our hearts. Help us to find favor with both God and people and so that we will earn a good reputation not only as Christ followers, but as church leaders. And, and all of us are ministers here in this church, and we all serve in our community. And God, help us to be a serving place, a loving place. Uh, help our discipleship to grow through small groups, and our ministries to kids, and to children and teens and students. God, all of it, Father, we pray your deepest blessings uh, on us in Jesus' name. Amen.